Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. It is our review show, which this month includes Hobbs and Shaw, The Lion King and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Then Deck returns for his section Carry On Streaming, where we talk all things TV. Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. Now, after watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I decided to write my own movie, Once Upon a Time in Brexit Britain, a place where I can change history. Hi, my name is Graham, and my main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. Let me guess what else you would do there, Jeff. Remove comic book movies, perhaps? (laughs) Good idea. Hi, my name's Neil, and I just like films. And for the second month in a row, I've seen more films than Jeff. Good job he's not competitive. (laughs) Well done, Neil. But I'm chilled after a fantastic holiday. In fact, we have so many films to review, I'm going to cut the usual small talk and go straight to the reviews. You're okay, Jeff. It's not like you. Indeed, where is the real Jeff, or are you saving it for the reviews? Or is it because I'm here keeping an eye on you, Jeff? Okay, and that wasn't scary in the slightest. Let's go to a music break. As the person who has joint watched the most films this month, it is only fair that I introduce this section of the show. Once again, regular listener Darren joins for two of our reviews. Sounds fantastic. So let's start with our first film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. I'm in my Put it there. That your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. No, I'm a stuntman. Look at me. So you still the wreck, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. Alright, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. And it has been. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. Okay, Lucy's left the room, so let's go for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 1969, actor Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is in decline in his career. While he prepares for a guest spot in the new TV Western series about to start, his best buddy and stuntman Cliff Booth, Brad Pitt, drives Dalton around to where he needs to go. Now, the other big event in their lives is Rick's new neighbours, Roman Polanski and his wife, Sharon Tate. And, of course, we know, or we think we know, how it all ends up. Darren, as our guest reviewer... Did this latest Quentin Tarantino feature work for you? It certainly did. I have to say that I've been following Quentin Tarantino's career right from the start. 
and have had many ups and downs with, with his film. I think this is probably my favourite film of his since Pulp Fiction. I absolutely adored this movie. It had everything that I sort of loved about Quentin Tarantino from the start, the, you know, the, the dialogue, the soundtrack, the, you know, the, the cool scenes, the way out story, the humour. also had all the sort of self-indulgent elements of Tarantino, like the, the long scenes with like, you know, lots and lots of sort of dialogue. Unlike a lot of his more recent ones, I didn't mind that at all because I was so engaged with these characters and I just sort of... I just loved being able to like hang out with his characters and just listen to them talking. It's one of these narratives where there's not, for most of the film, there's not a lot happening. You're basically just like a fly on the wall on them going around like sort of on like Hollywood and, and making films and going through their personal issues and everything. Even like the, you know, the final climactic scene really comes out of nowhere. There's nothing that actually happens through the rest of the film that actually leads to that. Even when Cliff goes to uh, the Manson ranch, nothing that actually happens in that scene actually sort of paid off in that final scene itself. Like I say, I didn't care because I just was so into this film. I thought the film absolutely looked gorgeous. I thought it just, it really felt like it was in the 60s. The, the attention to detail, you've know, got the tone right and everything. It looked absolutely amazing. The, the scenes I absolutely uh, adored. Uh, but, you know, the, the scene, even though there was a lot of controversy coming out of it, the, the scene with Bruce Lee, I thought was absolutely hysterical. Yep. A few things uh, I, I have problems with that scene. I thought the part where Cliff visits the ranch with the Manson family on, I thought that was so tense and spooky, disturbing. Just so into that, and it's just sort of the way it was filmed and showing is so sparse and showing how sort of weird the women were and everything. I, I just thought that scene was abs- absolutely f- fantastic. There wasn't a single scene that I think I, I would have, you know, but I wanted thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, move, move on. I'm, I'm getting bored now. I, I just love the, the actual, you know, the, the, the entire film. It did have some Tarantino sort of like, you know, sort of weird, right, sort of, you know, fetishes, though, lots of bare feet on display with close-ups on that, which I think is, I, I kind of think he's actually trolling now. I think he must be putting that in deliberately. It, just, it's so <laughs> it was the obvious. 60s, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, Phil, that is true. Yeah. Phil Foster said exactly the same. Uh, and I, playing I agree. It I agree. I think he's just playing the critics with this sort of stuff. I thought the feet thing, it was just so in your face. I thought, yeah, he's just messing with us now. I absolutely loved it. I thought the final scene was absolutely amazing. I mean, I think some people will, will probably have, have problems with it because it is, however it sort of it transpired, it is sort of exploiting, you know, a very real tragedy. And also this time, I think it sort yeah. of made it more into a bit of a sort of like a cartoonish comedy. Can I, sorry, it, Darren, it, just to stop you mid-flow there, but just to say there are spoilers that are going to be coming up in this discussion. So if you haven't seen the film, go forward and come back to this when you have seen it. What they did... With it, I was actually—I have to say—I was quite relieved with the, the actual the, the direction with they took with it, and the, the, you know, because I was always worried when I heard that Tarantino was going to do something with the Manson and murders. And that was kind of something that sort of disturbing. So I was quite relieved that it turned out the way it did. As a whole, I absolutely, you know, adored this movie. We're coming up to the end of the year, so so when I actually come up with my top 10 movies of the year, I'm pretty sure that this one is going to be very near the top. Graham? This is getting boring, because <laughs> I, <laughs> I absolutely agree with you 100%. I thought it was just wonderful. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was 
it was a modern fairy tale and love letter to a Hollywood that's no longer exists. I mean, it was just great. The direction, superb. Tarantino just got great performances out of all the cast. Mind you, they're a stellar cast, so I suppose he only had to shout action and his job was done. I loved the acting, the story, the music, the cinematography. My younger brother lives in Los Angeles and he said that the way they'd done the streets and the backgrounds for the streets and all the street furniture blew him away because it was perfect. He was saying, you know, places like Burbank and Ventura Boulevard and the Hollywood Hills were just perfect 1969. Now, I didn't get that because... I wasn't there then, but he was just saying that it looked so good and the ranch bit as well. I agree. That scene was very, very intense. And then you had the usual Tarantino over the top violence that culminated that scene. We had a lot of people walk out of it. And and I think that's because this movie is for real hardcore movie nuts. We got about 50% of the references. And then we all went home and read the articles online to see what we'd missed. It requires a bit of dedication, this film. And I know that sounds a bit elitist and all of that, but I like Tarantino. I like his films. I like this film. So sorry, not sorry. You know, (laughs) it's just, it's a fairy tale. Uh, And the ending of this movie, done only as Tarantino can, it was a real WTF moment. Mm. You know, when that ending came up and I went, Hang on, that's not right. Oh my God, here we go. And then the scene after that, where he's talking through the gate and he gets invited up the hill, I thought that was just a perfect ending. Really, really good ending. And I liked all the post-credit stuff as well with the red apple cigarettes and because yeah. the red apple cigarettes are in all Tarantino's films. Great couple of hours of cinema. Okay, Neil. Uh, up to a point, um, most of it, most of it, I liked. Uh, I love the chemistry between DiCaprio and Pitt. Well, that yes, was super, that, was that worked really well. I love seeing Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, and she managed to be charming and charismatic despite having limited dialogue. Yeah, which was really yeah. clever. So many cameos, and you really need to check IMDb for all the characters. I didn't know Lena Dunham and Dakota Fanning were were the Charles Manson followers, the yeah. two main ones. I saw Dakota Fanning as as Squeaky. Yeah, Squeaky, I got that. Yeah. 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 Did you get Irma Furman's daughter? Only after I, I left the cinema. No. no, she was the one that ran away. And, and in fact, yeah. um, quite a pivotal character in what happened in real life because she was the one that uh, went to the FBI. She was the, so that girl was. Irma Thurman's daughter. Uh, oh. I see Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter, isn't it? Yeah, she, she's yeah. in Strange. Um, she's in the new season of Stranger Things as well, which um, I haven't finished yet. So. No, I haven't finished. <laughs> I love the twist at the end. I like that, uh, that the way really it suddenly good. subverted the whole the yeah. whole thing. And there are some great scenes and really truly great. And Tarantino shows his genuine love for Hollywood of the sixties. At its worst, it's slow and overlong. I think one of the things you'll probably come up with, because it's the first thing you said as you came out of the cinema, that it could be cut. Every Tarantino film, apart from Reservoir Dogs and the two, obviously Kill Bill was two movies, is between 2 hours 33 and 2 hours 48. 2 hours 41 is pretty much average length for all of his movies. That said, it still needed editing. 
It's good, but that depends on how much you want to engage in the cultural references. I'm waiting to watch some bright spark on YouTube explain them all to me, and then I'll probably go and see it again. Okay. Darren, last time we spoke, you said about a film about 1979 in the playground that everybody copied. I think it wasn't The Warriors. What was it? King King Frat. Frat. King Frat. Yeah, everybody really sort of bought into that at that time. Now... Ten years prior to that, 1969, I would have been about the age that you were then. And one of the things with this film that really gelled with me was all those references to, you know, to Lancer, to TV Western series, keeps referencing The Virginian. There's the trailer for Mannix on there. You know, all of this sort on TV, that's the things that I was watching then and in the next couple of years after it. So as a nostalgia kick, it was brilliant. Unfortunately... It's 20 minutes too long. And Neil is quite right. It needs editing. And what Tarantino needs more than anything else is a producer to tell him this needs to go. And for me... Well, he did have producers, but one of them was him. Yeah, and that's the problem. He needs a strong (laughs) producer to say, cut this, Quentin. It ain't working. And I would say a lot of DiCaprio stuff, particularly the Lancer TV series, was an unnecessary. I love that bit. Uh, did you really? I love that bit. Okay. I love the bit that, that you could see. It, I think he you was slept in, through it. Oh, well, you may have slept through it. I thought it was great because it was like a TV series, uh, but you couldn't see any other people driving it. You couldn't see the cameraman. You couldn't see the sound man. So it looked like a film had already been finished, but they were still doing it. And I, I just loved that juxtaposition. I thought that was a great little bit. Okay. The other thing is... There are two great sequences in this film. Both involve Brad Pitt. The first is on the ranch, and we've all mentioned it when it was really tense. Now, in real life, the stuntman was killed. Yeah. Um, So so in both instances, they reverse what happened in real life. In the film, Brad Pitt beats up a hippie, gets him to change his tyre, and he drives off. In real life, he was killed. And then you've got the whole ending of the film with this mega violence and it was really exciting. Don't get me wrong. It was mm. really exciting to see, you know, the Manson family getting killed rather than <laughs> the brutal killing that they were going to do or they did do in real life okay. to a pregnant woman. So I think that is brilliant. But I think what you've got here are references to films that Tarantino finds particularly impressive. And I think those films are Targets, Peter Bogdanovich's film with Boris Karloff. Have you seen that one, Darren? Uh, I have not seen that, no. So in Targets... Karloff is an aging horror actor. It's one of his last films. And he's at a drive-in. They're promoting his latest feature. And there's a sniper, you know, one of these shoot-to-kill guys that unfortunately travel America too much these days. But there's one there shooting members of the drive-in audience. So you've got the horror on screen of an aging horror star and the reality of violence. And also the other thing that struck me with that ending is Dirty Harry, you know, Brad Pitt is essentially Dirty Dirty Harry. Harry, Mm. And if you look at Dirty Harry, the Scorpio character is essentially a hippie. For whatever reason, he's doing what he's doing, and Harry tracks him down, tortures him, and ultimately kills him. And that I do really like, but I do think it's overlong. And the fact so many people are walking out of performances... You know, and somebody said to me, well, I watched 40 minutes before leaving. That's 40 minutes of my life I'd never get back. Yeah, and I had the same comment from a friend of mine who said, he watched the whole thing and thought it was rubbish. And That's, I thought, you what really are have you watching? To, you have to invest in it. You, you have, have to, to, yeah. You have so, to commit. So, so my question to you, Dan, is 
Did anybody walk out? Because you watch in America. So did anybody walk out the showing you saw? I have to say, there were not that many people in the showing I was in anyway. But I have to say, I didn't notice anybody walking out at all. I do know some other people, and some of them who are actually like really into the films, who did find this uh, a slog. Mm. You know, before I went, um, a a friend of mine uh, said to me, he basically was uh, bored the entire time. He he didn't enjoy it at all. You know, so I think this is going to be a really divisive film amongst fans that some people will basically have the patience for it and and just be really into it. And and some people just be thinking, where's the story? I can actually see why some people would sort of get bored. Like I say, for for me, I I was engaged, you know, the entire time. There are so many in-jokes in this. I mean, Timothy Oliphant is playing James Stacey. You see James Stacey at the, the last shot. He's in drive off on a motorbike. And of course, he lost his arm and a leg in a motorbike accident. You've got things like uh, Jose Filippiano. Jose Feliciano. Feliciano, I beg your pardon. Yep. Singing a version of California Dreamin'. Of course, he's famous for a song called Old Turkey Buzzard from McKenna's Gold. And as California Dreaming starts, it pans up to a poster of McKenna's Gold. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Tarantino has, has this depth within that film, but it doesn't mean anything to the average cinema goer. So we've enjoyed it. We've got some reservations, but I think we all like it. Is that enough if a normal cinema audience isn't enjoying it? As Darren said, people who found it boring and dull and pointless we've all seen the same from people we know is that enough frankly i don't care i, I really i don't okay that's I fine don't, then. I don't that's care. not a problem i enjoyed it and it's you know cinema is an art form and you either get it or you don't you know and i, and I got it and i loved it and if strangely and i said this to you jeff on the phone the other day the more i thought about it i just liked it more and more and i'm, I'm definitely going to go and see it again Neil? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to see it again when somebody explains most of the culture references. I think it's because I'm a bit younger than you two that I didn't oh, get most of it. And I think Darren's ah, quite ah. a bit younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I didn't get a lot of the references. I knew the, the Sharon Tate pit and the Mansons, obviously. I'm going to have to look up all that and do it again. But I'm, it's because I'm a film fan okay darren i leave the last word to you one thing i would like like to say is that i honestly don't think this film works if you don't actually know at least what happened with the manson family and yeah. sharon tate because uh-huh. for this yeah because for a start you don't get the gag at the end where right. it basically goes off into onto so you don't get that somebody has actually said to me and i kid you not was Sharon Tate a real person? <laughs> yeah, so maybe best if you haven't seen it yet, um, look up the history. Yeah. Anyway, back to you, it Darren. It does build Sorry. the tension yeah. very yeah, well. Yeah, you just reminded me of that, what you were saying. Sorry, Darren. If you don't know about, obviously, like I say, you don't get that thing at the end, but also I think a lot of attention of the film is built on you knowing how everything turned out. When um, Cliff goes to the, the Manson family compound, you know immediately that they're the Manson family. You know that he's in danger. You know that they're because um, Rick is is uh, next door to uh, uh, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. That that's where that storyline is going. But also when they're doing the voiceover at the end, where they're basically going through the timeline of Sharon Tate going out for dinner with her friends and then coming back. 
that's like kind of like a swerve Tarantino's trying to make you think that you're getting that timeline because it's almost like a detective type film that you're basically being told what happened on that night and so that to me that's when that sort of swerves off if you don't know actually know what was going on with with the manson family you know you don't get any of that. No, that's you know, a very to, good to, point. To you, it's just, they're just a, a bunch of um, hippies that basically turned out out of nowhere. Because there's no actual bills. You, you, you barely see Charles Manson in the film. You don't see him sort of sending his family off to, to murder them. Really, the, the one like, storyline build which is in there doesn't actually take place on camera. It's up to you as a sort of as a viewer to know that going in. But personally, I, I sort of knew the storyline, so the actual real life um, situation, I should say. So I didn't mind that. And to be honest, if you didn't know that, then maybe you should do some reading and know your history. <laughs> yeah, and I think that worked really, really well because I was completely taken in by the whole thing. And I was I was just sitting there as it was going on and coming up to the climax, and I was thinking, oh, God, no, she's eight and a half months pregnant. What the hell? Surely he's not going to do this, and this cannot be happening. But you know Tarantino's reputation for violence, and I thought, oh, my goodness. So when you did get that switch, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is brilliant. What a clever way to do this. And I was totally hooked, you know. So I got that switch. I got the the. I would. I was bought in, and then it went, It goes into complete Tarantino ultra violent mode, and then I got this wonderful scene at the end. I was just hooked completely. But also at the end, then the title "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood." This is a fairy story. So, yeah. completely makes sense. Yeah, yeah so exactly. And the the bit about the police narrative going on. I really enjoyed that as well. You know, he was here at 8.30 and then at 9 he did this and I'm thinking, oh, hang on a second. what's So, yeah, it all builds up to just suck you in and, and completely point you in the wrong direction. Plays the old switcheroo on you. Hmm. Okay, cool. So you three have convinced me to give it another try. Yep, I think so. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Darren. Thanks, Darren. Thank you. Okay, next up is The Great Hack, a Netflix documentary about the Cambridge Analytica scandal. How many of the social media sites like Facebook were turned against us by some very nasty people, with insights from Brittany Kaiser and Carol Cadwallader. Neil, did this film get under your skin as much as it got under mine? (laughs) Hell yes. What David Carroll and Carol Gadwallader uncovered is a hornet's nest of intrigue and shady dealing. While all three of us were well aware of Gadwallader's finding in the UK, Carol's kind of ties up the complete picture. The biggest shock for me was Brittany Kaiser describing the number of roles they'd had globally before Brexit slash Trump. I defy anyone to tell me there are horror stories scarier than this documentary. Facebook selling democracy down the river. Graham? I was shocked. I really was shocked. I, I obviously worked a long time in the IT industry, so I knew that data harvesting and like this was going on. And I'd, I'd worked with some of the large companies like this before, people who, who say, oh, we can take your, your data and extract from it information you never even knew was there. But to actually see it done for nefarious ends was quite 
It's usually shocking. to sell to people, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. You know, we want to segment our market. We want to find out the high net worth individuals are and sell them something different. And yeah, okay, I can see that that's business, but not when you're actually using it to bend democracy to your will. That's the thing that was really terrifying. It's weaponizing it. Yeah, yeah. And it was propaganda. And psychops as well. I mean, they were psychologically profiling people. And then they came up with this terrible name for them, the persuadables. You know, we found four million people that we can persuade to do anything we want. And we're just going to blast adverts at them. The thing that got me most was that Facebook were just stupid. You know, they weren't culpable, really. They were just thick. They didn't realise that this was going on. Loads of their internal techies were telling them this this sort of stuff mm. was going on. They weren't listening. They just weren't listening. It was really, really quite shocking. A great, great documentary. And this is what documentaries used to do. Panorama. Panorama, yes, and things like that. So it was back to Panorama-style investigative journalism on a much, much bigger... Okay, so 100 million people have got Netflix subscriptions and, you know, that's a huge audience to tap. Okay. Now, Lucy, this is one you haven't seen as yet, is it, The Great Hack? Mm -hmm. But obviously it ties in with your day-to-day job and the manipulation of social media. Would you watch a film like this? I think so. I think it's important to kind of understand that people can manipulate data this easily. So, yes, I'm interested in it. I haven't seen it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's it's definitely worth it. I mean, it it, it Mm -hmm. is... I mean, I would agree, and I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree with Graham and Neil. <laughs> it's it's very disturbing. Mm-hmm. I think when Steve Bannon's name comes up, it's always yeah. something you need to sit yeah. up and take notice of. It's just a stunning documentary. I do not yeah. trust Brittany Kaiser in the slightest. No, she does not come out well mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. To, be, to be fair, she spoke out about it. She told everybody She's what they stuff. were doing. Oh, of course she is. The fact that she spoke about... Even 20% of what they were doing, it's scary. The fact that there's still another 80% out there is even scarier. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But to be fair, she was, uh, her mother was telling her to shut up because she's going to get killed. Yeah. Yeah. There's only so much I can say about this, but I will watch it and get back to you. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'll be very interested in in your views, again, Mm -hmm. given your day to day job to watch a thing like this. Oh, of course. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I'll be particularly interested in your view of Brittany Kaiser when you've seen it, because she is okay. front and centre in this film. Okay. And I think she... It, it's funny, it's a film about manipulation, yeah. and I think at the centre of it we have a person that's trying to manipulate mm. that we shall see. But I I think it, it gets all three of us good reviews, so yeah. um, that's great. Okay, that's good. I'll that's watch good. it. That's excellent. Let's go on to our next one. Upmarket again as we talk about Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> Our target's name is Brixton. He's a ghost. We're going to need the best trackers in the business. Luke Hobbs. I'm what you call an ice cold can of whoop ass. Career lawman. Always gets his guy. We're going to need to operate outside the system. Deckard Shaw. I'm what you might call a champagne problem. Rogue former MI6 agent doesn't play well with others. If we stand a chance against Brixton, you guys have to work together. No way. This guy's a real ass. You have no idea what we're dealing with. 
You've got one. It's a spin-off from the Fast and Furious franchise, which uh, frankly is horrible. Um, Luke Hobbs, Dwayne Johnson, and Deckard Shaw, Jason Statham, have to team up to stop a genetically enhanced bad guy, Idris Elba, from obtaining a deadly virus. The problem is Shaw's sister, Hattie, has injected the virus into herself. Nice setup. Graham, did this leave you fast and furious? It was a great big dumb summer action blockbuster. Four charismatic actors playing at Super Spy and action heroes. I had fairly low expectations going in and overall I thought it was great. As an action thriller, it delivered the goods. The movie split into three acts, London, Russia and Samoa. Or if you like, Shaw's Manor, The Bad Guy's Lair and Hobbs Turf. These <laughs> nice these, one, that is great. Yeah, That's yeah, good. Well yeah. Did yeah. I write that for you? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> these locations are, are just playgrounds for the big action set pieces. And wow, are they exciting. I might be prejudiced, but I thought the London action scene was the best. In fact, I thought the London and New York scenes in the first act were by far the best things in it. When it became very crushy-bashy, wallopy, I thought it lost a lot. It was a lot sillier. The London scene, they didn't destroy a bridge, which I think which is was, a bonus. Which was a landmark in film history, that <laughs> <Yes>. is. Yeah. <laughs> but but you also you had a script polish from Drew Pearce. Now, Drew Pearce did all the funny stuff in Iron Man 3. He also wrote and directed Hotel Artemis last year. Ooh, yeah. Great guy. What he brought to the first part of the film... You couldn't say put it into realism because, quite frankly, that would just be bollocks <laughs> on my part to say that. It? But generally, I thought you just ground it in a great deal of fun, like an outlandish James Bond adventure. Yeah. Did you not feel also that the first act was just so much better than the other two? I mean, it was absolutely sparkle. The setup was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I did also like that everybody's so tough in this film. They've only got a single name. Hobbs, Shaw, Brixton, Hattie, <laughs> Queenie. You know, nobody has a second name. You know, that yeah, we'll, we'll go, we're We tough. should go by our surname, then, shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Are we convincing you on this, Lucy? Would you watch this uh, film? No. Have you seen any of these films? The Fast and Furious. Like, I've seen the first, like, four. No, The Fast no. and Furious are rubbish. This isn't Fast and Furious. No, it's, this it's, is it's, this is actually, sure. it's quite good. It's not a spin-off. It's a far better film than any of the other ones. And it uh, hasn't got Vin Diesel in it, which is a huge bonus. We're going to give you a surprise now. It does have Ryan Reynolds. Yes. Does it actually? Oh, there's so many cameos. What the hell? His bit is seriously funny. And I might I, I might watch it just for that. <laughs> and I am going to get it on streaming so I can watch that first scene again because Ryan Reynolds <laughs> is like a joke machine gun. It's just come so fast that you think... Ryan Reynolds as, as in Deadpool Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, kind yeah. of, yeah. Oh my CIA God. Deadpool. Yeah. And but, he is so funny. And the, the fact that The Rock keeps up is quite good. The Rock, yeah, matches him blow for blow in that opening scene. And that's why I say the whole of first act is just great but there is a scene where he comes on and spoils the end of game of thrones yeah he oh. reveals the whole i mean I, I don't really care so that's fine <laughs> no no but it's just so funny what he says yeah. and how he does, does it. it yeah, yeah. It's just great. <laughs> yeah spoiler alert he's one of the funniest things in it but as you say the rock keeps up with him and, and statham bit, does as well statham yeah, is just good. really good but i think you've got four charismatic ignore ryan reynolds as much as you can, he is because he is so good. But you've got Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, Idris Elba, and Vanessa Kirby. 
four mm. actors that just ooze charisma. And who thought Vanessa Kirby would be an action star? I, must, I know she's really after, after the what's she in the Crown, isn't it? She's yeah, in, I yeah. must admit the the her accent just grated a fraction as a Londoner. Yeah, no, she was good, and Idris Elba is a, a really because she's not a Cockney boy. A Cockney boy. Yeah, it was a bit Cockney. It was a bit um, Mockney. Yeah. As summer blockbusters go, I would say it's really good. It was, actually, that's a good point. It was a return to a summer blockbuster, yeah, because yeah, we haven't had one of those of in a couple of years. And I think, other than the sequence where Dwayne Johnson's holding down a helicopter with a rope. So, have we convinced you, Lucy? Would you watch it or, no, sorry, that's just too much? I mean... Because you mentioned Ryan Reynolds, I might. <laughs> but other than that, nah. <laughs> he, he doesn't take his top off in it, Lucy. I'm sorry. No, he does. <laughs> he does to show the tattoo. Oh, he does, L- yes. L- listen, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in his humour. So just so you know. <laughs> sorry, I'm not talking to M here, am I? No. No, no, no. I mean, I, I like Ryan Reynolds, but I like his humour more than him with his top off. Just, just full disclosure. <laughs> so, yeah. I'll give it a go, but I probably won't enjoy it. Well, that's halfway there, but okay. <laughs> Watch it we'll on come, streaming for the first yeah, hour. We'll come back to you when you've seen it. All right. Okay, moving on, The Current War. Now, this is the true story of the War of the Electric Company Patents, raged between Thomas Edison, Benedict Cumberbatch, George Westinghouse, Michael Shannon, and in the wings, Nikola Tesla, Nicholas Holt. All pushed their ideals of morality to the limits to be the first to get the accepted patent. Neil, were you electrified by the current war? No. <laughs> oh, well, that's fine then. That's a, not a problem. Moving on. <laughs> There's a stellar cast, a compelling storyline, really interesting historical figures. Just how could a filmmaker get that wrong? The plot sound, Edison versus Westinghouse, for the battle to own the rights to the electrical system that would power the world. Yeah. And the award goes to Tesla. And <laughs> and what did they do? They missed out, Tesla. And just he comes in for little cameos here and there. It was tragedy. The film's one of the most significant inventions in history and somehow the film lacks any invention. A shame. I hated it. <laughs> We're not selling this to Lucy, you know that. No, I know we're not selling it. And Lucy, if you can avoid this, I would move to another country to avoid this film. It was shockingly bad. The story was very badly translated Mm -hmm. into a screenplay, and I don't know what the the screenplay writer thought he was doing, but he certainly wasn't doing the book any justice. Tesla coming in for, like, cameo roles. Tesla invented the revolutionary AC generator, and it doesn't get mentioned. You know, we see 20 minutes of a guy electrocuting himself trying to do what Tesla did, and it's just nonsense. And they focused on the wrong thing. The cinematography drove me mad. It was all shot in the dark. It was so grainy. Oh, it was shockingly bad. And the two lead actors, their performances were very good, but they got nothing to work with. No. They were pulling stuff out of thin air because they're professionals. And there was too much of them, really. I mean, it's okay. If it had been a film about Westinghouse and Edison, fine. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was supposed to be about the war of owning the power. 
Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was an actual struggle to to, to change the world, to revolutionise the way things happened. So, Lucy, you've now heard two science nerds on this. <laughs> what can I say? Well, I come out knowing less about ACDC other than they were once a rock group. <laughs> it didn't shine any light on this subject for oh, me whatsoever. Oh, very, very funny. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the acting was generally poor. It had Tom Holland's. The, one of the worst actors of this generation. Oh, don't Stop go it. there. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> and I, do you know what I'm really fed up with? Uh, other than, we'll go back to the film in a minute, but do you know what really I'm fed up with? Benedict Cumberpatch playing these people on the autistic scale with yeah. his acting. Yeah. Whether it's this, whether it's the imitation game. Hey, he was great in that film. Doctor Strange. He was good. He's playing the same part. Yeah, but at all least he time. was good at that film. We have to acknowledge that. But you don't yes. want him to repeat but it's though, the do same you? character. You want him to stretch himself. I'd like to see him do a horror film after the one he turned down, which I think he that would be. That would be really good, good yeah. Because he was cast in Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. Was he? Yeah. And he withdrew, which Tom Huddleston then took oh. over. And I would have loved to have seen that would have been great. Take mm-hmm. that roll on, yeah. Anything, so. anything except doing another one of these ma- I mean, manic, is, slightly depressed. Yeah, this is slightly this weird. Is shocking people. as a film. I come out with no knowledge. It's a film that needs to take its time to explain yes. to you what's going on, and it does fast editing, fast cuts, and it's jumping all over the shop, and you have no idea. You know, in under two hours that they're doing here, it would have been done a really good six-hour Netflix or Channel 4 documentary, but the way they've done this is really poor. And I know it's had a troubled production, but frankly, what's come out the other end is disappointing. Mm-hmm. And the way they jumped to the World Fair and suddenly oh. everything, everything's finished and happened. And, yeah. and, and you just, wait a minute. I yeah. mean, we got it because we yeah. know what happens. But Yeah, when they turned the lights on for the first time... And everybody went, clap, clap, clap. No, people fainted and screamed and ran out. I mean, get it right. It was an amazing event. The way they portrayed it, it was just like, oh, that's rather interesting. Oh, well done, you chaps. And And, and they don't really give the credit to Tesla. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's it's not difficult. So, Lucy... You're in the saw room in the beginning where they're trapped and chained. <laughs> you have a choice to get out of that room. You okay. watch Hobbs and Shaw or The Current War. Which one do you pick? I would say Hobbs and Shaw. There we go. You're moving on. You're out of the room. Well, there's the key. So. I mean, it's either watch Hobbs and Shaw or cut my own foot off. So, I mean... Yeah, it's got to be one or the no other. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Okay, so let's okay, go on. Okay, Neil, did you understand any of that? That must have been a uh, horror movie. Have, no. have you not no. seen Saw? It's an iconic film. I've got the thing tattooed on my yeah. ankle, haven't I? So. And, and how old were you when you first watched it? And you... <laughs> um, 15. And how old are you guys now? 109. Hey! Right, moving on to reviews by two of the team. And uh, let's go down and let's talk about the Sister Brothers, which Graham and Neil will review. It's a Western starring John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix as the Sister Brothers, Eli and Charlie Sisters. They are famed gunmen and assassins and have been hired to kill two gold prospectors. It's an unusual title. Graham, is it an unusual film? Uh, yes, it is, because it's an absolute jam. 1850s Oregon. You know what it is? It's a self-contained 
complete story in an hour and a half-ish. It's just perfect. It has a very clear start. You're introduced to the characters. They're sent on a mission. You've got the people they need to, to find and deal with. Things go strange in the middle. It all goes a bit weird at the end. And then you have a final conclusion and they arrive back at a a nice point in their lives and it takes you on a complete journey it's and brilliant interestingly it's two hours long you it, don't notice no it just you really flew don't by. notice just flew by carry on sorry yeah it's exceptional it's very modern very violent and beautifully shot big surprise for me in this movie was watching john c Riley play a straight role Perfectly. He's done several. He has done uh, several, but fair, this, but is, this is way well, above his usual. Absolutely fantastic. It was great in Chicago. And there, then at the end, there's that very strange appearance by the sadly now departed Rutger Hauer. And the little scene they do to check uh, his condition is just hysterical. Really yeah. funny. And yeah. that's Riley's comic timing put beautifully. Yep, and I agree entirely with Graham. The two of them are the f- so interesting dynamic, and I, I thought Jen, John C. Riley again was the standout, and that's against Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, that's saying something. The two of them are so chalk and cheese, and yet as gunmen, they only operate as a pair. Pair, exactly. and that was fabulous to see, along with Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed. I mean, there's four people in this movie. Basically, it's an entire Western. They show the whole of the, West, the Wild West. Yeah, exactly. The landscape and the and the people, etc. And they concentrate on these four people. I mean, there's humour um, when the brothers first discover a flush toilet. Yes. <laughs> and they the, go to the big city. And, and importantly, <laughs> yeah. the violence isn't trivialised. No. There's no silliness about it. It's a genuine, this is what happens, this is how it happens. And the one scene that I really loved, and I actually wound it back and watched it again, was that beautiful scene where they, f- they get to the ocean. And, of course, they've mm. lived all their lives in the big plains. Yeah. And they get to the Pacific Ocean and they look at the ocean it's just like wow (laughs) you know they're just and they caught that beautifully yes and then they ride their horses along the beach and it's just mind-blowing it really is so well shot and you were saying something interesting about the actual director this is his first western Shaq odr his first english language film and he chose a western um which is quite a task he gives it such a great heart and depth I think his main one was uh, A Prophet, mm-hmm. uh, um, Prophet, which I've got here. Uh, Graham, do you want to watch oh, it? Yes, or please. Jeff, Jeff there we go. Yeah, all of that. You say it and then persuade Jeff to watch it. I think it's okay. Uh, two hours well spent. Um, watch it before everyone tells you the entire story. Yeah. Okay. I've not seen it. Lucy, it's would you wonderful. watch it based on what you I've hear? seen adverts and I thought it looked terrible, but you've actually no, convinced no, 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 me no, no. No. otherwise. <laughs> John C. Riley, brilliant. And, I love John C. Riley. Uh, yes. So I think it's worth my time. I saw the trailer and I thought, oh, that looks a bit, what, a bit working sad. Working Phoenix uh, is unhinged. And I, lo- I love him as well. He's fantastic. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And he is really unhinged in it. But yeah, I, I was like you, Lucy. I saw the trailer and I thought, uh, yeah. really? And then yeah. Phil Foster said, oh, yes. no, 
you really got to see this. Exactly. Phil Foster said it and and I I went, oh, okay. uh, And I watched it and I thought, holy cow, this is, everybody should see this. These well-rounded characters and, and, but you have to keep remembering, they're killers. Yeah, they are. They're paid killers. Yeah. Very good. Brilliant. So that was Sister Brothers and I, for one, would watch it. Life's not fair. Is it, my little friend? While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark. Begging for scraps. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Run away, Simba. And never return. Take your place in the circle of life. So, welcome to our review by two of the team. And this first one is The Lion King. Graham and Neil are going to review and guest reviewer, Darren. Darren, always a pleasure to have you back for these. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. We consider you part of the team. You'll be getting the T-shirt in the post next. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Do we call this a live-action remake? Probably not. It's filmed with realism, perhaps is best. You know the plot from the original. Young Simba is born to Mufasa, the Lion King. However, as Simba grows, he is unaware he's a pawn in a deadly plot hatched by Mufasa's brother Scar. Now, Darren, I think you've got some strong feelings on this one, and I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that this film, when it ended, just left absolutely no impression on me whatsoever. It's really cool they managed to basically sort of do a film with this realistic, and I, I sort of respect all that work that went into him. To use a phrase from a Spinal Tap film, it was too much, too much realism, because it, it looked really, really bland to me. Compare it to the Lion King, the animated one, and it's all lush, beautiful colours. It looks really, really vibrant. And this one just looked really drab. I have to say that I think if you were to look at any nature documentary, but either on the BBC do or you know Natural History Channel or something like that, they would look a lot more stunning than what they presented here. I felt it looked less like Africa, more like the Peak District, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And, and, and also the thing about this, this film is using like, you know, realistic looking animals. The thing about animals is most of them, they don't actually have expression. So, you know, which is something that when you do like a, an animated movie, you can put on sort of a character into the faces and everything like that. And here, when you, you know, the, the sort of lines, for example, when they were sort of talking, but the mouths are 
were barely moving. It sort of reminded me, I don't know if you remember Johnny Morris. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love if, Johnny if, Morris. I, yeah, I, I didn't feel like I was, I wasn't drawn into thinking that these animals were actually characters and actually saying these things. I just felt like somebody was just like, just off screen, you know, mouthing the words to them. <laughs> and, I know, and I know that people are going to say that sort of, maybe you're sort of comparing it too much to be original. But the thing about this film is it was virtually shot for shot, scene yep. for scene. A remake, it did absolutely nothing new. The whole thing just, for, for me watching it, it just felt sort of completely pointless the only bits i think that i actually really enjoyed were the the, the scenes with the um the warthog and the meerkat those scenes are light and i think one of the scenes with the um with the hyenas where they're sort of chasing the lion cubs through the graveyard that i thought was done real well because they actually managed to make it like sort of really scary and, and atmospheric so that i sort of got but for the rest of the film it was just a, a massive step down from everything that you, you loved about the original. I think, I, I can't even say that I, I hated it. It just drew absolutely no interest in me whatsoever, either way. It was just sort of bland. That's all I can say. It was a really bland cinematic experience. You're not sitting on the fence with this one, Dan. Neil, what about you? <laughs> I am completely with Darren. The visuals are stunning and the technology is, well, frankly, astounding. But that's the best thing you can say about exactly. a movie. That doesn't say very much. It's the same story, as Darren says. It's just a money grab. It misses the heart of the original. It's just got more fart jokes. It lacks soul, originality and magic. And we have The Lady and the Tramp later this year. Mulan next year. Cruella the year after. And The Little Mermaid, The Sword and the Stone, Peter Pan, Pinocchio, Prince Charming, Hunchback, Lilo and Stitch to come. Way to suck the film industry dry. Wait, they're doing a Lilo and Stitch remake? Yep. Yes, exactly. I'm so sorry, but I love that film. They're just sucking all the money out of the world. What about Darren's comment that it looked like the Peak District? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose it could have done. To be honest, I didn't notice. But yeah, if I watched it again, which is unlikely, uh, I might say yes. Graham. Oh, dear. (laughs) I'm in exact agreement with Graham. Oh, my God. But you're a techie, so that technology would have been extraordinary. Technically, I was blown away. Yes. I mean, there were bits in it that I thought, how on earth did they do that? The particle effects was they're running through the sand and things Uh, like that. And you're a great holiday maker in the Peak District. I do like holidays in the Peak District. (laughs) And I thought Timon and Pumbaa were the best thing in it. It's shot for shot exactly the same as the original, but it's just taken all of the glorious colour and the vibrancy and just reduced it down to a computer game, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the other thing which Darren picked up on was the the mouth animation of the Mm. animals. I don't know about you, Darren, but I found that was really off-putting and really weird because they would say things and you'd think, oh, that mouth on that animal just changed it looked like mr ed from the the 1960s the talking horse it kind of takes everything that was fun about the original doesn't yeah. it however however it. there were a group of kids in the cinema with us uh, a couple of seats away and they were loving it i mean it's over made over a billion so yeah. you know kids obviously do like it adults who grew up with disney obviously like it but for me no no. So, yeah, and, and that's the point I want to pick up with Darren. Does that worry you, Darren? It's made over a billion? Not only that, Aladdin 
made over a billion. Yeah. So so the, these films are actually working. I think one, one of the things that I find it a little bit sad is that sort of this is what kids who are sort of going to see these at the cinema, this is what they're going to think that these Disney movies are. But they're mm. going to sort of think that this sort of, you know, the, the Aladdin is sort of like, you know, the, you know, the, the version and the Lion King is the version. So, um, but yeah, it, it does worry me because, I mean, you can see the slate already. We're, we're going to get them all. Eventually, we're going to get Frozen, but for live action movie and i think one of the sad things is that the thing that i really appreciated watching this version is how good the animated original is and how charming they they are and and now sort of like you know how as you were saying about how they didn't seem to be actually saying the the words that they were saying were just mouths were sort of moving like really small when you watch the the uh, the cartoons of these things i like stuff like lady and the tramp you, you sort of believe that these characters are actually saying these things and i just think that now that we're sort of getting all these live action ones it means that disney probably aren't going to be making any animated movies i mean i I don't know i've i've not really sort of noticed any sort of like animated new animated films on the slate Uh, i can't remember the last time that we had sort of you know a good one so it's just like easy money for them in the sort of thing that they've already got the story there and everything and the sort of the audience is obviously there because they're getting over a billion so yeah it does on on this respect it does kind of worry me but it is sort of it is sadly giving well an audience what they do want frozen 2 is the only one i can think of that's coming up isn't it that's animated uh, animated frozen 2 yeah but i think that that's a sequel it's not a straight remake so that's the difference and i feel like i'm a bit optimistic about Frozen 2. <laughs> so we'll see about that. So Lucy, given everything mm-hmm. that we've had you in this review from three people that have seen it, would it encourage you to watch The Lion King? I mean, I've got a question, if, if that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. In, yeah. I was going to ask you, obviously, this film has a very, very large ensemble cast. So it's got, you know, Beyonce, Donald Glover, it's got Seth Rogen. Does that make a difference or not really? No. No. No, not really. I mean, the voice acting is fine. Yeah, you know, it's fine. The kids that were in the cinema were obviously enjoying it, mm-hmm. and it, and and as I say, the the standout is Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, they are really standout. Beyonce was a wee bit light in a couple of places and a wee bit weird. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But was, that's probably the animation. Beyonce, sorry, which one was Beyonce? I think she was Nala, right? Nala, the uh-huh. girl. So it's Simba's love interest. Oh right. Yeah. Well, at one point, she says. Uh, lions Lions attack attack. and i thought i nearly (laughs) walked out (laughs) i thought no 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 no." i mean timon and pumbaa the there's a whole extended story about them and where they live etc and that did work well i must admit okay Um, yeah i've no real real fault with the actual the the voices or anything like that although i would say that beyonce didn't really make an impression with me it wasn't until I, I sort of left the theater that i actually remembered that it was her voice it didn't mm-hmm. really sort of strike out so i have to say seth rogan was probably the, the standout who actually put his sort of personality into the character so he, he was you know, uh, he was of, pumba right yeah that's yeah. right yeah. yeah generally speaking i don't think the sort of the visuals really brought could do anything to bring their work to life mm-hmm. but can't sort of like say anything against the actual voice cast i went to see or i took my kids to see 20 years ago the lion king live on stage with puppets and they had huge huge puppets they had elephants as puppets six or seven guys working a bit like war horse was done live on stage and that worked brilliantly because it was so different and it was really really funny and great so you can do something really different and really Mm -hmm. unusual with this story 
but they chose to just create a computer mm-hmm. game out of it. Yeah, I mean, I saw Disney's Animal Kingdom, a version of The Lion King. They yeah. did obviously cut down, but that was great fun. Yeah. But for me, this yeah. just didn't work. I really feel like I'm being a crotchety old man. But you and, are. Oh, I am a crotchety <laughs> old man. And it's like, oh, it'll never be as good as the original. But it was j- mm. just so much better, the original. I think, you know, the thing that puts me off is that obviously if it's a shot for shot remake, I'm just like, what's the point? Yeah. And like, is that ignorance or do you think that that's a fair criticism? Because I, I'm a bit nervous about seeing it, to be honest. Shot so for it's, shot. it's just shot it's for not shot. Worth yeah. It. No, yeah. Not at all. No, I'm I, least... think there's, I think there's one scene that is sort of added that they've expanded a little when um, the um, when the, the lioness basically breaks away from the yes. uh, from the community. Yes, yeah. true. Yeah. And, and there's like where, where she's sort of sneaking out. I think in the film she basically just turns up and sort of tells them what's been going on. I think that's the only bit that I saw yeah. that was actually new or different. Okay. Yeah, and that bit was there just to build a bit of dread and threat, wasn't it? And sort of pump that moment up. And and that actually worked quite well, that bit. A mm. bit like the chase through the graveyard. And there were a couple of parts, and I thought, oh, that's very well done, that's very well done. And then running across the desert, I thought, was was good to show the separation between the two areas. But apart from that, I thought, yeah, I'm probably with you, Lucy. What's mm-hmm. the point? Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I've said that to a lot of my friends, like a lot of people in the office have come in saying, oh, you know, I like this film. And I'm kind of thinking, I am a snob, though. I get that. I'm a, <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to watch shot for shot remakes. I'm sorry. Like, there's so many other things I want to watch. So I'm cool. not here for it. <laughs> I'm with Lucy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, The Lion King. There we go. Shot for shot, if you like that, yep. go see it. If you like bland, go see it. If you want originality, watch the original. Watch Absolutely. the original. That Absolutely. really is original. That is original. Dan, thank you for that. So let's go to our final two people watch. And it's a retrospective Monty Python, the Holy Grail, which Graham and I watched for Radio Gloucestershire. Jeff and Graham had to talk about this classic Python film from 1975 for BBC Local Radio recently. In this film, they hilariously send up one of those tales of King Arthur and the Round Table. Graham, still funny after all these years? Yes. Hell yes. <laughs> really, really is. Ah. Just a great, a no, comedic masterpiece, I, Jeff. I can probably remember most of the scenes. Exactly. I've seen it so many times. I went to see it. And it was so good, I went in and saw it again. When Seriously? It, when it first, the first time I saw it, I thought, this is just You cut so yourself good. when you're at home and say, <laughs> <Well>, shut <laughs> up. Cut that out. You have, yeah. you have no soul. And your funny bone has been removed. Carry on. It's awful. <laughs> it's not funny. There's one joke in it that sort of works. Which one's that? The rabbit. The rabbit, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, and that say. only works because I know they couldn't get the die out of the rabbit and they were stuck with it forevermore. Um, you know, and the, it's and got the holy, holy oh, hand grenade, hand grenade, grenade of Antioch. Yeah, great. Uh, oh, great. Four, five let's, is right out. Let's sit here reciting Monty Python stories like a <laughs> bloody 10-year-old. Oh, come on, um, the scene where King Arthur turns up and the, he, there's all these people in the dirt. Come on, that scene is funny. funny. Well, they right. have a discussion okay. on let me, socialism. Let me just and- put this in perspective. If I was given a choice, I said to Lucy earlier about Saw, right? If I was given a choice of waterboarding or watching this film again, I wouldn't rush into a decision. <laughs> That's how much I hate this film. I Mon- mean, there's waterboarding and there's cutting your own foot off, though, Jeff. 
That is true. Like there's no water. I, I did give in myself Seoul. a lighter choice. There, than there's I give no water boarding in Seoul. So. No, no. <laughs> I mean, no. It, it works for everybody except Jeff. So. It's not funny. Uh, oh, I my mean, wife I, then. I don't like it. <laughs> that, that's fine. I'm, I'm, see, Lucy, <laughs> Les doesn't like it either. So my you wife. brought Lucy the whole way from London to Just Stroud, to say just to she say doesn't didn't like it. this film. <laughs> And, no, it's, and I hope he's paying you a lot for that, Lucy. I can do. No, I'm, I'm being paid nothing. Full <laughs> disclosure, other than compliments. <laughs> yeah, it's other a, than wine. <laughs> other than wine. Okay, right. Yeah. Well, that's a good currency in my point. True. Right. Okay. Anyway, well, I think let's hope he doesn't do um, Life of Brian because yeah. it could become to blows. Do you, do you know what? No, Life of Brian, I liked. Oh, the God, reason thank we God didn't for that. Do, the reason we didn't do Life of Brian for BBC Radio was because it's still, to this day, a divisive film. And if we put that on for that audience, it could have ended in trouble. So we told Nicky not to do it. But they decided right at the beginning that it wasn't. You're now adding logic, aren't you? You know where that gets you, Neil. Yeah, OK. OK, reviews by one of the team. Let's start with Neil and the Highwayman. Now, this is the Netflix feature starring Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson as Frank Hamer and Mamie Gort, two Texas Rangers who are involved in the hunt for the notorious criminals Bonnie and Clyde. It's a great cast, but is it any good, Neil? I enjoyed it, but the critics are really 50-50 on this one. Two years, the police have failed to catch the outlaws. Two ageing former Texas Rangers are brought back to help. The Texas Governor Mar Ferguson, the excellent Kathy Bates, who disbanded the Texas Rangers in the first place, is persuaded against her better judgment to allow them to return. It's not an all-action film. It's a carefully plotted battle of wits. Costner and Harrelson are really good together and they know how to track and they know how to be detectives. I enjoyed it. It's over two hours long, though, and it won't suit everyone. If you're happy with two hours of Costner and Harrelson, try and see the film. I did see the film and I loved it. Ah, I loved it. I thought it was... I thought the pacing was very clever. I thought the, the central idea of them tracking... Bonnie and Clyde was very interesting. And yes. you never really see Bonnie and Clyde. You just see no. them in the background. No. And it's all about the, the, the highwaymen characters. I just thought it was just really good. I sat down, cup of tea. I'm going to watch something a bit different. And five minutes in, my cup of tea was cold and I was completely yeah. I was completely bored into I, it. I love Texas Governor's comment. The reason she banned them in the first place was because they basically report to nobody yeah and the she's left to uh, explain the blood and the dead people and that they leave in the in the wake and that was really clever they had the political element at the beginning Mm. and you go through all this political shenanigans and then they finally say yeah set these two guys loose because they're sort of the best of a bad bunch yes and then the first thing Kevin Costner does is he goes into a gun shop and buys every gun in the <laughs> shop. And it was like, okay, that, no, that was, a, was I did not seriously see, funny. I, I did not see that, that one coming. And then he goes out of the shop and Woody Harrelson's waiting outside saying, can you give me a job? And then Harrelson says, why didn't you ask me to yeah, come along? And yeah. he said, well, you look like an 85-year-old shuffling around. And, okay. Yeah. And also the other thing I like was the social history element. Yes. That 
When Buddy and Clyde, as we all know, were finally killed by the highwaymen, the country went into mourning for two criminals because yes. they were seen as heroes well, of the poor. Well, they were. film were stars, as, weren't they? Yeah, they were seen as sort of the Robin Hood yeah. of the wild Which is West. ridiculous because yeah. they never did that. No. And the fact that Bonnie started when she met this person, Clyde, and it was too late. By the time she'd found out that the car was, his car had, had been nicked, yeah. um, he was, she was already in love. Clyde started when he stole a chicken. And question is asked, maybe he was just hungry. Hungry, yeah. But we all were. This is a terrible time. The depression. Um, and and, yeah. yeah. There's the, all the tail end of the depression, and they're the last to get out. It really does come through. It's an excellent, excellent film. Okay. Well, you sold me in it. They oh, sold yeah. you in it, Lucy? Sounds a bit weird, to be honest, but mm, I'll give maybe... You ever seen Bonnie and Clyde? I've seen Bonnie and Clyde, but this... It hasn't got any of that sort of joyous action Exactly, like this whole Kevin Costner thing feels really weird. It's a bit of a downer. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, I'd rather watch... Costner is superb. Yeah, he is. Okay, well, maybe. Maybe. Let's stick with the downer theme and move on to Kill the Messenger. Oh dear, okay. Next up, Kill the Messenger, reviewed by Jeff. Another true story, and one from a couple of years ago. Jeremy Renner plays investigative reporter Gary Webb. Webb was a reporter on the San Jose Mercury News, was covering a story about drug dealer assets being seized that led to uncovering a huge conspiracy. Jeff, is this as powerful as it sounds? But certainly it's a powerful story, and I think Webb's story is one that needs to be heard particularly where we are with media at the moment. So essentially what Webb did is he found out that during Reagan's run of getting the Contra rebels to sell drugs into America, they were targeting black communities in certain cities. And he wrote a whole series... Wow. Yeah, he wrote a whole series of articles called The Dark Domain about this in 1996, and it caused an outcry. He was applauded for it initially, but then papers like the Washington Post, really went for him. They really? said, Yeah, they said he hadn't covered his facts properly. But there was a little bit of why is a small newspaper like the San Jose Mercury News covering this when we, as the big newspapers of America, should be uncovering it? So that comes into it, which is, is quite an interesting dynamic where we are with media today. But also the fact then that the American government hounded Webb in the end and this is a matter of records, so I'm not saying anything here, but Webb committing suicide. And hence the title, Kill the Messenger. So it's very powerful. Renner is brilliant. It is very downbeat. There's no doubt about it. And I think it loses its way in the last part. Given you're going to end up in such a down note, mm. it doesn't know how to get there. And I think that causes it a bit of a problem. But it is worthy. And one of the most frightening aspects of this is when they were making it, a number of cast and crew were getting threats from the American government about making this film. Wow. Wow. So that shows what a nerve it was touching. So this is the other side of American Made, isn't it? The Tom it Cruise is. film? It almost, it's a sequel to American Made. So you had Cruise's film, and, and this takes place after that, and this is a guy uncovering those events and trying to say, these drugs are coming in from the Contras, but what Gary Webb was saying is, these were then getting distributed deliberately, crack cocaine, into black communities. And that's the horrific part of this. Wow. So it's well worth a look at. Renner is brilliant. 
It should have got more recognition. The film, unfortunately, didn't find its audience. And where is this to be found? On uh, Netflix? I watched it on Blu-ray. All right. Uh, it's that old-fashioned thing that you don't Never, like. With a no idea. No disc. idea what no, you're talking about. You've lost me there, Jeff. I know. But I would imagine you should be able to track this down <laughs> on that Netflix. spinny laser Prime. things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the thing that when everything you want collapses, I'll still be able to play. Um <laughs> Lucy, does that interest you or not? not? Without I would, I would watch this absolutely. Yeah, this yeah. sounds really, really good. I mean, I'm a bit worried that you said it sort of fault as halfway through, but I'm, I'm keen to to look over that. It is good, and I think Rena is brilliant. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm keen to see it because of him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move to Neil for Good Boys. A group of twelve-year-olds try to crash a party. Neil, this sounds like a typical summer comedy. Is it? Generally, yes. Except that they're twelve, and it's a fifteen certificate which I can promise is well-earned. <laughs> the three kids, Jacob Temblay, who was in the room. Oh, yes. Uh, so that young kid, uh, Keith L. Williams and Brady Noon, are really good fun and seriously funny together. And they get into various scrapes and they react as a tween normally would, which is good. At its worst, it's a vehicle for jokes about anal beads, dildos and cocaine. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> to mention just a few. Yeah, I've seen the R-rated trailer and I was, you know, I'm not easily shocked, but I was thinking, Why? how old are these kids? Why? And the story is fairly basic with the jokes being the main reason for it and that they're tweens amongst it all. But it is seriously funny. I laughed out loud several times, which is unusual for me. And there's an emotional strand running through the film. The boys have entered sixth grade and there's a whole bunch of uncertainty about the impending teenagehood. I liked it. And instead of going on and on and on about it, um, Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian gave it four stars. Yeah, Peter Bradshaw clearly has arrested development. <clears throat> you haven't seen it. No, I know. Until and, you see and it, to be honest, comment. Why would I rush to see a film about anal beads? I'm just <laughs> saying. They are, the scenes with that in it are so funny, but okay. they shouldn't be. So is it more American Pie or is it more... It's kind of super bad for super tweens. Super bad, that's exactly where my mind yeah, is going. It's, um, but a bit better than that, I think. Oh, wow, okay. Lucy is guest editor. And guest reviewer, what do you think? Would you watch it? (laughs) (sighs) Trash American comedies don't interest me generally. And I feel like I saw the trailer for this and I was just like, nah. Um, But maybe I'll watch it, maybe I won't, but I'm not going to rush to see it. Put it that way. No, no, that's probably a fair fair assessment. Okay, so this is Reviews Catch Up, where you have a minute to catch up on something that was watched last time. In this case, Apollo 11. Graham is going to review. Neil watched this last time. So in our catch-up section, we give a brief opportunity to members of the team to have their say on films they missed when reviewed the previous month. Last month, Neil loved Apollo 11. What does Graham think? Oh, my God. It was absolutely brilliant. I sat and watched this in a small art house cinema and it was packed and everybody was holding their breath. We all know it. they landed, but it is so intense and it's just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Neil waxed lyrical about it, and I'm going to wax lyrical about it as well. It's just brilliant. Probably going to get into my top ten films in the year. Yeah, I just thought it was just wonderful. Definitely. All in agreement. Lucy, you into documentaries? I am. I haven't seen this one, but very keen to. That's about all I've got to say about that. No, that's (laughs) fine. I've got nothing to put in because I haven't seen it. (laughs) Okay, no, the same as me, but I would watch it as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... 
my catcher yesterday. Oh, oh right, Jesus, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll let you go on. I've only got a minute on it, mind, because it's a catch-up. Last month, Graham had reservations about this Danny Boyle-directed romantic comedy. What did Jeff think when he caught up with it? Pretty much the same as Graham, to be honest. I think the setup is wonderful. Richard Curtis doesn't do dark comedy, and that's where it needed to yeah, go. It, it exactly. needed to show the dark side of the record industry, which happened to the Beatles. It needed to parallel what the Beatles did. You know, they found the pressure so intense, it caused them to split in the end. Mm. They all went off in their own separate ways. This doesn't do that. Uh, Lily James doesn't like Hamish Patel going off recording in a record studio in Los Angeles, which is just crazy. Yeah, There was no dark side, there was no drugs, there was no alcohol just seemed really sad and then and i think i'm going to pass this to lucy for her minute on this in a minute but i would agree totally the moment they brought in john lennon it just went barking mad and it just didn't know how to end it at all and it just fades out yeah so this is the one i can actually comment on and i was very very let down by this like most of the listeners will know that i adore danny boyle i always bang on about him but this time it just didn't work the John Lennon scene is insulting, quite frankly. I, d- I didn't think it was necessary. I also felt the whole Lily James not letting him do his thing was very manipulative and stupid and it just wouldn't work. And it was more romantic comedy than about the Beatles and their music, so it just felt crap. Did you find that mm. Lily James had nothing to do? She's a she, brilliant actress. And, she did and nothing. nothing. She did nothing apart from stop him from living his dream. And what kind of potential girlfriend would do that? Nobody. And there was it's that nonsense. weird <laughs> scene in Liverpool's train station, which and I thought they just stuck that in there for to give her something to do. So they've obviously contracted this great actress and they've said nothing. I'm about to slag off Richard Curtis, right? But I feel like it was very much a Richard Curtis screenplay, but Danny Boyle was at the helm, but he had like zero input. It just didn't work. Uh, I was like, I've seen plenty of Boyle films. That's a nice way to look at it. His characters have had so much substance, like Trainspot and, you know, Slumberg Millionaire, the Oscar winner. And then this, and I was just like, what is this? Like, uh, I'm sorry, I just hate this film. Like, I just, it just didn't work for me. I'm, I'm afraid. I love the Beatle bits, but the, the it overall... had some funny moments, like when he forgot things, like with Google and all that. Those yeah. funny Google yeah. shots, but that was about it. Like, it just no. Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you think in the beginning? And I'm with you. I, I'm not a great fan of this film overall. Mm-hmm. But the bit in the beginning where he's singing the Beatles songs. And these people are hearing them for the first time. So you're through them yeah. hearing these lyrics for the first time. Those were quite powerful sequences. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, that could have moved on to better things, but it just didn't. No, and I think that's exactly it. It had it such had a good this premise. Great uh-huh. setup, and then uh, over the top. And it's like, oh, lol, John Lennon is alive, and it's like, what? Yeah. I just nah, uh, big spoiler, <laughs> but no, 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 just didn't work. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So there we go on yesterday. So let's go to our films of the month round table. Neil. Uh, Sisters Brothers. Graham. Sisters Brothers. <laughs> Do you have a film of the month? Theme? Film of the month? Oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> what have I seen this month? I haven't seen a lot, if I'm quite honest. Um, maybe not the month, but I would say Toy Story 4 is probably the most impressive one I've seen recently, if that counts. Okay, no, that's fine. Yeah. Well, for me, it's The Great Hack. So, Sisters Brothers it is. Yep. Yep. From the latest reviews, let's have a look at what is happening in the world of television and streaming. Over to Jeff and Deck. Hello, and welcome to our feature, Carry On Streaming. 
Hello, Deck. Welcome back. Hello. Good holiday, I hear. Yeah, I had a good holiday. Very warm, uh, record temperatures. Um, but yeah, it was still good. And with us in person this time as well, so that's great. Let's cut to the chase because we're now heading into the autumn and people want these recommendations out there. What's good to watch on streaming and TV and what have you been catching up with that you'd recommend? Well, a few things that I recommended at the last episode I've managed to watch. I watched the true crime drama When They See Us on Netflix. A very good young cast, quite a harrowing true story, really. It's shocking how they managed to put those young boys away and what the police did to them. But, uh, yeah, it was very, very unbelievable. good. Unbelievable. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I got to the end and I was just so cross. It yeah. was just a complete stitch-up. Just oh. refresh my memory on this one. Was uh, A rape in Central Park, the way the police you know, treated the parents and the children was, as you say, if it wasn't true, you wouldn't believe it. Very good, though. Only five episodes, well worth watching. Right, that's on my list. The other one I recommended last month as well was the Black Mirror, only three episodes, very good. Not quite as dark and as edgy as some of the previous Black Mirrors. I think the best one was the Smithereens episode starring Andrew Scott. Um, He was very good, very good actor. The thing with that episode is, and I only found this out by complete fluke, the composer's Richie Sakamoto. The guy oh, wow. who did Merry Christmas from yeah, St. Lawrence. Yeah, no, I found that out the other day as well because I was, I was going through some Sakamoto music. I found his album Solitude recently. Very good. I can recommend that. And, yeah, I noticed that he'd done all the music just for that one episode. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. That's no, really good as well. Yeah, I heard that. The other one I started watching, um, mainly, mainly because my uh, son tends to hog the Netflix sometimes, so I can't always get on it. I started watching What We Do in the Shadows on the iPlayer. Now, this is based on the New Zealand film, but I just find it really funny. Uh, I love Matt Berry anyway. I think he's great. It grows on you. It starts off and you're thinking, okay, it's vampires living on Staten Island and they're not very good vampires, but it's just quite funny. And it just grows and grows. They bring in guests that have been in vampire movies in the past. So Wesley Snipes is there <laughs> from, from Blade. Tilda Swinton's there. And oh, they yeah, actually get right. these people and you think, wow, what are they doing on this little show? But no, it's just brilliant. It's really, really good fun. Have you, so, seen, have you seen the original film? I haven't seen the film. I want to see it the now. The original film is by Taika Waikiki and he appears in the actual film and yes. the, the series is based on... And he's, it, he's the really sort of... Funny. He's the one that's being interviewed and the others are just sort of, these are my roommate. And, and you watched it as well, Neil? Yeah. A vampire show. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, so there's you a, enjoyed there's, it then. Yeah, yeah, there's a really good scene where they're outside the uh, a Wellington nightclub and all four of them standing outside going, nope, do you have to invite us in? <laughs> <laughs> this is why we can never get in anywhere. No, oh, we can never get in anywhere. No, you have to invite us. The, they can't get the bouncers to invite them in. It's just yeah. hysterical so fun. Even without seeing the film, the show's fun then? Oh, yeah, the, yeah it's brilliant. It's really it's oh, that cool. sort of humour. So, yeah, I just find it really... And it's the sort of thing, it's typical, you can dip in and out of it. Even in the middle of an episode, you can... So you can watch 15 minutes of it before you catch the bus or something, and then you can come back later and watch more. And it's, it's that easy to get in and out of. So that's why I quite like it. I always like to have one show like that that I don't have to have an hour... You know, if I've got a spare few minutes, I can just watch a bit more. It makes me laugh and then carry on with what I have to do. Okay. Oh, that's interesting because I use Archer for that. Yeah, probably for a similar reason. Yeah. Well, I'm up to about yeah. season nine of that and yeah. it's getting a bit samey. Is that, it's an animated thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's animated. Isn't that where Sugar Sugar come from? That's the Archies. Oh, oh right. Okay. That was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so you are showing your age... My wife's favourite songs. I'd be very careful where you go with that one. You would, yeah. in, you would enjoy Archer. Archer's right up your street, It's Jeff. so politically incorrect. It's pretty much you. Oh, there's um, nothing like the Archies. No, oh, good grief, no. If no. you were a spy, it would be... Uh, How do you know I'm not? 
I've got us a download in the Russian Federation. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Not deliberately. What else, Deck? Um, well, this was a surprise one. I don't know why I started watching it. It's, I think it just came up like Netflix does with, like, you've watched this, you should watch this. But I started watching The Society. It's interesting. So it's all young actors. It's teenagers. It's a weird concept. It's no spoiler because it all happens in the first episode. They come back to their town and all the adults are gone. All the children are gone. It's just them because they're about sort of 16, 17, 18. They're sort of that age. It's it's a bit like, um, I don't know if you ever watched The Dome, that series in... Under the Dome, yeah, Stephen King, yeah. It's like that. You can't, they can't get out. So they're sort of... There's, there's no end to the town. And so they're stuck in this town. And, of course, they start off as teenagers would. Hey, let's party, you know, great. Let's all get drunk, no parents around. And then, of course, it starts, to, they can only do that for so long. And what I really like about it is it, it deals with some really tough topics. You know, it deals with uh, abuse, deals with drugs, it deals with murder, deals with torture, deals with politics. Because they're all basically having to... There's sort of no law, and then they have to try and work out what are we going to do? Who's going? To, who's in charge? You know, they've never had this. The parents have done everything for them. You know, some of them are more spoiled than others, so find it harder. But you know, like one of the guys that struggles the most was like the rich kid, and now he's his money's not worth anything, and he's having to deal with it, and he doesn't deal with it very well because he's like he's lost everything. He was only popular because he was rich. I mean, it's not it's not the best acted thing, but I just think it really does challenge some really. Topics, especially in America, going on at the moment, I thought it was really good. The way you described it to me makes it sound like Lord of the Flies meets Under the Dome. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good, yeah, that's a really yeah. good analogy. Okay, yeah. oh, that, oh, I definitely I, I, I quite like that. Yeah. And, and I think it's gone down quite well because at the end they said there is going to be a season two. There was a bit of a twist at the end that I might make season two rubbish. I don't know because I, I don't know if they ran out of ideas because they did literally tackle all the topics that people would say, okay, how are they going to deal with this? How are they going to deal with that? There's pregnancy in it. There's stuff, you know, there's lots of things in it. Wow. That sounds great. Okay, that's one for the list, I think. Uh, one I watched that I think Graham recommended that I've started watching is Love, Death and Robots. Um, basically, I thought the animation, some of it is fantastic. Some and some of it you watch and you think, ah, oh, it's ended. Uh, you're really upset when that episode finishes, you want it to carry on. And there's so much to choose from. It's like a selection box of, you know, animated treats, really. Some of them computer graphics, some of them sort of more... So what's it about? Graham and Neil tried to explain it to me and I just switched off. Well, they're all various subjects. Just, uh, just an animation selection box, really. I thought it was fantastic. you got an example of one. One with, like, dog soldiers, werewolf soldiers sort of thing. Like in the, the movie? <laughs> no, not like the movie. And the movie was a very good movie, actually, that movie. Yeah, no, it's set in sort of Afghanistan and stuff, working for the American okay. Army. Another one is sort of like they find Dracula and stuff. Other ones, oh, gosh. So there's not an overarching story, then? Each no. one's individual? Each yeah, episode's yeah. individual? And some of them are really short. Some of them are like five minutes, and some are more like 30 minutes. I enjoyed the one with the three robots wandering around, uh, tourists going through this yes. old town, yeah. this old mall, and the cat comes up, follows them. Yeah, they've all got quite good personalities. They They all have, yeah. Yeah. A couple you mentioned there that are animation. Do you think the likes of Netflix are taking animation forward into more adult territory? I think animation's having a new lease of life, and I think things like Netflix are helping because I think animation is quite an expensive thing to do, but I think you can make little ones like they have and put them together, uh, and Netflix is brilliant for that. I reckon that animation is going to really take off again you know i've just been to see the lion king could you class that as animation maybe you could it is a form of animation i think animation can do things other films can't you raise a very interesting point there because you can actually class every film made today as animation i suppose with the amount of cgi then probably a lot of them yeah yeah that's true the next thing I have been watching, this hasn't finished yet, but nearly has, is I've watched the next series of Handmaid's Tale. 
that's on 4OD at the moment. I think I'm going to stop watching it. I, I have this thing, it's interesting, I have this thing where when I love something, it normally only lasts three series. And I find it's very difficult for something to last more than three series before it starts to go. And this is the third series now, and I just think it's getting ridiculous. The first series was was brilliant. I recommend anyone watch Handmaid's Tale, the first series. It was based on Margaret Atwood's book, mm. and it's very good. The second series was okay because they sort of followed it along. I didn't really like the ending of the second series, and I think it's just got worse in the third. So I think I'm going to watch it to the end of the third series, but then I'll probably stop. Um, what I'm more interested in is Margaret Atwood's sequel to the first book is coming out in September. So that might be really interesting to see what she's done rather than yeah. what the TV series has done. Uh, you, Graham, you found the TV series depressing. Oh, it, it is generally very depressing, but it's a very depressing subject. And I'm halfway through the second series. I only watch one every now and again because it's just so intense. I just find the whole thing so troubling because you see little glimpses of what's happening in the world now and you think it only takes a few more pushes for that to become reality. And that flew more floppy head twats in charge. Yeah, well, it is white man Sharia law is the whole thing. You know, that's what the whole program is about. And it just scares the life out well, of you me. Can, you, I see what you mean. It's true because of the rise of extremism and everything. Yeah. You can really see... It, wor- it works. I mean, The Handmaid's Tale works in the era we're in at the moment, what, yeah. we're, what we're living through at the moment, and that's why it works, and that's why it's scary. And that was Atwood's vision back in the 80s, and she saw all of this rising up and starting to, to happen, and she wrote about it, and she's obviously a brilliant writer. I okay. love the book. So from what you're saying, Deck, a fourth series is planned then? I understand there's about seven. It's this, seven? Well, it's this thing they do like they did with Lost, where they, they say, oh, we've got seven series. And like we've lost, I gave up after three as well. So I do have a habit of giving up after three. Because to me, I think, you know, that's why I love things like Fleabag that was on where they've done two series, absolutely brilliant. And they said, that's it. And I just think that's the way you should do it. Go and make something new. Use your talents to make something else. Because there's only so much you can do with people and stories. Do you watch Homeland? Again, I watched two series and then gave up on the third. I do have a habit of doing this. See, I, I find this interesting because I found the first three series okay, but nothing special. And then on series four, it like switched gear and it's just gone up and up. Now they're doing season eight, which comes out next February, which is the final season. The way it mirrors what's going on in the world, it's brilliant. Each season, six and seven, each episode got better and better. Brilliant. Yeah, I've heard that before. As other series, people say they have a lift later on, but yeah. they've, they've lost me by then. I'm not, do you know what I mean? Once you've lost me, I'm not going to go back. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason that series lost me was because the Claire Danes character was basically mad as a hatter, and yet they, yeah. she was still in charge of operations. You're yeah, like, yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, right. You've got to go. Uh, as if absolutely. that's going to happen. And and that's what's annoying me about The Handmaid's Tale now. The, the main female lead in that's just completely gone off the rails. And I'm like, this is just, it's losing its sort of, grip on reality for me it's not i don't know maybe it's just me okay it has been the summer holiday so i have actually been outside so they're the sort of only series i've really watched there's a lot that if you listened last time that i still haven't watched i've only just started watching series three of stranger things and i haven't managed to start watching gin the second series of dark or jessica jones all that i recommended last time i managed to catch a few films on netflix so i caught up with the wife glenn close and jonathan price which was 
brilliant, fantastic. Why Jonathan Price wasn't nominated for anything, I don't know, because even though Glenn Coase did get nominated and only just missed out, I thought Jonathan Price was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. I watched Shaft, which I know you guys oh, spoke about, yeah. which uh, had was an absolutely terrible first half, but I really enjoyed the second half. Uh, um, I nearly switched it off, and then that second half I thoroughly enjoyed. I thought the action sequences were really good, and I thought it, it, it just got more fun. There's just so much about one of the characters I related to. I, I, I won't say which character. <laughs> um, I managed to watch Beats, the one about the young guy whose sister dies and he becomes like a hip-hop guy. That was good. That was good. It was a slow burner, but I thought it was very realistic and very good. I think they did a good job of that. I caught up on A Simple Favour, which I'd been meaning to see. I missed it at the cinema. Again, I thought that was, was light-hearted, good fun, entertaining. It entertained me for a couple of hours, so... I, yeah, you know. I'm not an Anna Kendrick fan. Uh, I thought Blake Livesey, who played the other lady, I thought was really good. Yeah. Uh, Kendrick was okay. I just enjoyed it. I thought it was one of those, if you want to sit down with your you know, your partner and just watch something relaxing and not have to think about anything, I thought yeah. it, it, no, it, it is good. And I managed to catch Baby Driver again because I loved it so much. I watched it again. I just thought yeah. it was a fantastic film. So they're the th- all the things that I've watched since the last episode. Excellent. Anything else out that you haven't seen at the moment that you'd recommend to people or say this might be worth a look at? Well, I want to catch the film Mordy because I heard your guys' review singing it. its praises. Wonderful. So Wonderful I've, added, I've added that to my list. You'll need to have something to wipe your eyes. It gets very, very emotional. At the Not end. for me. Not for Jeff because he's as hard as nails, but <laughs> for ordinary human beings, it's quite sad at the end. The other one I film I want to catch is The Great Hack. I've heard a lot of people who've watched it says it's quite frightening, but it's very uh, yeah. very interesting. So Graham and Neil have just caught up on it. Brilliantly terrifying, basically. How Carol Cadwallader isn't lauded as one of the top journalists of this country shows where we are, unfortunately, as a nation at the moment. But she is excellent in the film. Why watch a horror film when you can watch that? <laughs> Yeah, that's good for light relief now yes modern horror films would be less scary than, than the, that, than yeah, that. The, yeah. yeah and one that my son has just finished that he recommends is money heist so it's a spanish oh, spanish, yeah, spanish bank one, yeah. heist thing it's now on its third series even though it's not my son described it, it's not really three series it's the third part he said series one and two were basically like a season break so they were they were like one stories, and this is a same group of characters, but a, a new story starting in part three, sort of thing. But he absolutely loves it and recommends it. He binge watched it as soon as he got back from holiday, and absolutely loves it. And I've, and it's good because I've actually started for years. He would only watch dubbed versions. He now watches subtitles, Excellent. which is good because I've got so many films that I want to introduce him to that up till now he won't watch. But we're coming into the autumn. What's looking good? Well, there's some good things on the horizon. So um, one of the things I'm really excited about is The Dark Crystal, Age of Innocence. Yes. Oh, yes. I saw yeah. the new trailer. Oh, man, it looks brilliant. So is that a sequel to The Dark Crystal? It's it's the same characters. Uh, is it a prequel or a sequel? I can't I don't remember. Know. Um, I don't know. But it involves the same, you know, the same group of species. It's the end of August, I think it's coming out. So okay. really excited about that. want to see what, again, as my earlier comment, it's another form of animation. Um, mm. is puppets but uh, yeah really looking forward to it I've obviously got a running theme here because the other animated series I'm really looking forward to is series 2 of Disenchantment oh yeah brilliant brilliant yeah, Neil and I loved that yeah, yeah. It's, it was the funniest thing on for a long time so you haven't what caught up no, with it no I haven't no, oh, no. No. Neil recommended me and that immediately oh me come up. on <laughs> jeez What's it, it about? is funny 
So it's there's three of them, isn't there? So there's a a demon, a princess, and an elf. That's so we're it. in Princess Bride territory. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Kind of, yeah. But, yes. it's, but it's by um, Matt Groening, so it's, oh, okay. it's Simpsons and humor. It's adult. Yeah. Very adult, yes. And it's very, very funny. And yeah, I mean, even the name of the elf is Elfo. You know, you just yeah. know it's got sort of silly. I'm laughing on the inside already. Oh, <laughs> shut up, grumpy old man. Go on. Sounds like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, it's me. no, okay. no. Uh, well, there's another uh, season three of The Crown. I really love The Crown. I know it's one of them. I know a lot of people don't like it. it is, the thing is, it's going to be interesting because they've commissioned series season three and four with amazing cast, uh, Olivia Coleman takes the mm-hmm. role of Elizabeth II. Helena Bonham Carter is Princess Margaret. And there's a whole host of other brilliant actors. It's one of the most expensive things that Netflix spend their money on. So they've only yeah. agreed to season three and four. And they've, and they've said there really should be a five and six, but they're not going to make it unless they can, unless three and four, you know, gets Generate. more people to sign yeah. up. I, I know with season three, there's a recreation of Abavan and the Aberfan coal disaster. Wow, really? I, and I was in school five miles away from that. And so that whole thing where the Queen came to visit was a really, really big thing. So I don't watch the show, but I will watch that episode just to, I'm really curious as to how they're going to do Why that. Why don't you watch the show? Does that have interest? I have no real interest in the royal family. I think some of them do a lot of good. I think, you know, Prince Charles' aims are laudable, but I really don't want to see a whole show about the ins and outs. It's like dynasty on crack, isn't it, really? As you said, they do challenge some really interesting historic moments. They do yeah. go through, and it's and it's interesting to look at it from their side of things. I mean, they're doing the moon landings as well, I think, in the in okay. this series as well. And it's just some interesting things, as you say, with the with the Welsh tragedy. It's it's sort of their view of yeah big events in history. Here's my thing to you then, Deck. If the Queen stops the floppy-haired one doing his version of Brexit, I promise to watch the whole thing from beginning to end. Okay? And that's a that's a cast-iron promise. I will watch it. Not only that, and I've never done this, I'll binge-watch it. I don't binge-watch. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then the big one, the big release that's coming up in the autumn, the one that I think Netflix are relying a lot on, is The Witcher. So this is their version of sort of Game of Thrones. They're trying to tackle that territory. Only eight episodes, but um, I'm very excited. Uh, It's a fantastic game and there's a lot of depth in the game. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. We do hope, he keeps saying he will talk to us. We do hope to be speaking to the director of two of the episodes sometime in the autumn. He lives in Stroud. Yeah, fingers crossed. How much we can ask him about The Witcher? I don't know. But we will try but to get Graham him drunk. Graham will try. <laughs> we'll try and get him drunk because I love the game and love the books. I've seen the trailer now. The trailer looks interesting. Do you think that'll be the new Game of Thrones? I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to drag some people maybe over to Netflix that you know, were watching Game of Thrones and haven't got anything to watch. Okay. So they want to watch a similar thing. And also they're probably trying to get some of the gaming community to start yeah. watching things like that. So uh, my worry is that, uh, you know, with the history of games becoming TV or film is they're not always that successful. So, But there have been the odd one. So fingers crossed it'll be good. Yeah, hopefully they'll base it on the books more than the game so they'll have a bit even more depth to go down to. Okay. So. so I've got a question for you on a related thing. What are your thoughts on Amazon Prime doing Lord of the Rings? Well, a prequel to Lord of the Rings if everything's to be believed. Um, I don't know. It's been done, hasn't it? Do you really need to do more? I don't know. I don't know what other people think, but what um, Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings was fantastic. Okay, The Hobbit, he dragged a very thin book out into too many films, but still, I think that box has been ticked. I don't think there's any 
reason to go back there, really. There's, I find this a lot in TV and movie, is you do get a lot of, when something's successful, everyone jumps on the bandwagon and thinks, let's make another slightly different, like a prequel or a earlier version of this. I think that's just lazy writing. I think, why not write something new? Why not tackle, tackle a topic that hasn't been tackled for 20 years or something? Is that your thoughts on the Game of Thrones prequels as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anything like that. I I know, yeah, as you say, easy money. I know why they do it. I know it, they're businesses and they think, well, we've got a, you know this many fans already. Therefore, people will, at least at the start of the series, all watch. And they might, if it's not very good, they might drop off, but they're still going to have high viewing figures. So I understand why they do it. But yeah, it just irritates me because I want to see new stuff all the time. And it happens everywhere, doesn't it? As we, you know, we know in the movies that, as you say, it's all superhero films now. Once once something makes a lot of money, everyone makes it. And when it stops, when people get bored of it, then there'll be something else. Yeah. But I love watching, uh, you know this from uh, my reviews and stuff, I love watching stuff that's a bit off kilter, that's not the same, that's new initiative, you know. But I want to be entertained by something new, not, not just another version of something I've seen before. That's a fair comment. Nothing really beats originality, does it? I don't think so, no. On your recommendations last time, I watched Good Omens and I quite enjoyed it. Oh, that's good. I've still got to wait because it's still only on Amazon Prime. Yeah. I'm waiting for it to come to the BBC, which I think it's meant to later in the year. Christmas. Yeah. So, so yeah, if, you, if you've recommended it as well, I'm looking forward to it even more. My yeah. advice is to read the book, which is better. I have read the book, so the that's The book okay. is excellent. Yeah, yeah. I see all right, you yeah. know exactly what it is. Yeah. My wife sat and watched it. Given the subject matter, I thought that was going to be a bit of a problem. But yeah, we've also got the returns of some of the classics. Walking Dead's back soon, I think. We've got His Dark Materials. Mm. Oh, yes, yes, definitely, yes. I saw the trailer for that. Uh, yeah, that's no, quite good. For that. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping they make a better job of it than they did with the film Oh, don't the film, let's not mention, mention that <laughs> word, yes. That um, was a shockingly bad film. And a new version of War of the World, set in Victorian England. Oh, Wow. Yeah, Mitch Ferguson was working on part of that, I understand. Race ball, stars, and the stills I've seen look really good. So they've captured everything with the tripods and all of that stuff, so it looks good. So there is a new um, series coming out on Amazon called Carnival Row, starring Orlando Bloom, where he seems to be some sort of detective in Victorian times. Human beings live side by side with uh, fey creatures like fairies and unicorns and all sorts of strange creatures mythical creatures so that looks interesting but that's coming out okay september october and that leads us in nicely because of course the next time we get together deck we're going to be talking about all things halloween excellent so all the shows that will be coming out on tv and streaming and uh, i might even throw in for you a couple of the radio ones because radio four goes all out halloween they do some really good stuff um, usually with Mark Gatiss involved in it, but we'll do that. And, of course, I'll look forward. We'll be looking at Christmas. Brilliant. So uh, <laughs> oh, There's our life just wished away. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. it goes. Well, it's a good time to catch up on. And we've got sets, so little it, of it Christmas. left. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, your Christmases are numbered. <laughs> a little ray of sunshine there in the corner. Frickin' hell. Thanks, so, Neil. The next time we talk, the next time you listen to Dex's voice, it's going to be near Halloween. Unless, of course, Dex's in for any of our reviews. But, Dex, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you, Thank very, you very much. much. Look forward to you next time. Thank you for Thank having me. Cheers. 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 Bye. Bye. Some great shows there. And I think I'm going to have a busy fall season. Thanks, Deck, and see you again soon.
As for next month, Neil will share his thoughts on some foreign language films that are well worth checking out. An interview with director Steph Harris about the excellent New Zealand film Blue Moon. And Elijah returns to talk about The Lion in Winter. A discussion with Phil Foster and Sam Pope about Quentin Tarantino. Plenty of reviews and more from Lucy and Steve Wright. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. Jeff, is this new chilled you going to last until next month? Only if you come and watch It Chapter 2 with me, Neil. Well, that's just stupid. So the answer is no, then. No, no. Well, I think it's just me and you then, Lucy. I think so. <laughs> and to everyone else, thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and goodbye. goodbye. That's a wrap. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website, attheflicks.uk. Thanks for listening.